1 John chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, while you guys are turning there or scrolling there or something, I want to just give us a little bit of context. Before we dig in too much, I just want to make sure that we understand where we're at and what's going on. For those of you guys that were here uh, before the first song, Jared went ahead and read 1 John chapter 1. It's like we meant to do that or something. You know, Brian always says, oh, we didn't even mean to do that. It just happened. Well, we meant to do that. So I hope that you listened and, and, and heard what was going on, but I'm going to give a review just in case you didn't. So in 1 John chapter 1, number 1, we have John, the same guy that wrote the uh, gospel of John writing this book. And he is writing to a church or a group of churches. And a lot of the evidence seems to point at the fact that it was a church or a group of churches in Ephesus. Now, is that for sure? No, but doesn't necessarily matter. I just want to give us a little bit of context and understanding. And why that would even be significant is because of what they would have been struggling with at the time. Okay, so John starts in, in 1 John chapter 1 and he starts with this declaration of Jesus Christ. And so as he talks, he begins to just proclaim Christ as the word of life. And he begins to proclaim Christ as eternal. And this would have been very significant because the whole deal is if they don't understand Christ as Messiah, as both fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, if they don't understand that to be that man, then everything else that is to come doesn't mean much. So they needed to understand that. So he started with that and proclaims Jesus Christ, Messiah. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. They needed to know that before he went anywhere else. And so then, that's verses 1 through 4. He writes that. And then in verses 5 through 10, he talks about walking in the light. We're going to come back to that in just a couple minutes. So we're not going to spend a, a ton of time there. But I just want us to uh, just make sure we understand walking in the light. We'll talk about what that means. So... As we move on, we're going to go ahead and dig in to, to chapter 2. So we're going to read all of it, and then we'll come back and just break it down verse by verse. So chapter 2, we're going to go 1 through 6. So follow along with me. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Lord, as we gather together this morning, Lord, I pray that um, we are just, just overcome by your scripture. Lord, I am thankful that it is not a factor of how good of a speaker that I am not. It is not a factor of my knowledge base. It is not a factor of any of that. Lord, it is a factor of, the, of your word being proclaimed. And so, Lord, as we study this morning, I pray that that is what the focus would be the entire time. I pray that you would just um, work in our hearts through your word and your word alone. You're an awesome God in Jesus' name. Amen. So, chapter 2, verse 1, he starts with my little children. So, I've talked to the students once before on this passage, and one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we got clear about the start of this is what he meant by my little children. Because um, my first instinct when I read it the very first time was like, oh, he's being a smart aleck. He's like, you child, right? Because he's about to get on to him. That is not the context here. 
My little children was a term of endearment. He was, he was about to love on them. He was about to pour into them, invest in them. So this wasn't something that he was like scolding them, you child, like most of you probably had to say to your kid this morning. That's not the type of statement this was. This was my, my dear children. I'm about to pour into you. I'm about to love on you. And we see John do that a lot of times in all of his writings. So my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now this statement is not about the next four or five verses that he's going to talk about. It is about the rest of the book as a whole. He's saying I'm about to write a bunch of things in this book so that it will help you not to sin. So, first off, we need to understand one thing. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to unbelievers or is he talking to believers? Well, number one from that statement, we can know he's talking about believers. But I also want to go to a couple other verses in here just so that we can all buy in that he's actually talking to believers here. Okay? So, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. You probably may have to turn one page, but maybe not. Here we go. Ready? Verse 12 says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers, fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So as we read that right there, number one, I just want us to get a little bit of understanding because at first glance, this almost looks like it doesn't fit because it's in the midst of two things that seem separate. But I just want us to step back for a second. I want us to think about what he's trying to do here by that, by that little statement. Number one, before we go anywhere though, all of the statements that he makes, he says, my little children, because you know the father, I write to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. All of those statements he can't make unless he's talking to believers. Children don't truly know their father unless they know Christ. Fathers don't know the one who is from the beginning unless they know Jesus Christ, unless they know God. So first off, he's talking to believers, but I also just want us to understand why he says it like this, why he does this. So all of you have probably um, watched some of the things going on with the elections right now, right? Has everybody in the room at least seen something? You've watched either a debate or a town hall meeting or a speech or something. You've seen something, right? All of the candidates, and I don't care who you want to talk about, any of them, what do they do? They get up there and they want to sell themselves to you and to you and to you and to you and to anybody in the room. And so if you hear them, they'll talk through a bunch of different stuff and they'll try to appeal to the young, the old, the white, the red, the yellow, the black, the man, the woman. It doesn't matter. They try to appeal to everybody in the room to get their vote. Okay? I love what's happening here because John right now is appealing to every believer, young and old. So we see this right here. You ready? I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. How sweet is it to watch a child when you say to them, I forgive you? The weight of the world is lifted off of their shoulders. Right? John is appealing to the young believers and, and that now they can understand the weight of all of your sin has been lifted off of you because of Jesus Christ. We, we look to the next one. What does it say? I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Adults in the room. How, how hard is it the older you get and the more things you see just fall apart and the more people you see pass away and the more things that just seem to, to just go crazy, how hard is it to trust in something that is completely eternal? How much do you desire to see something that is never changing and always has been and always will be? I'm not even that old and I'm already striving for that. So to the fathers, I have something that is eternal. God 
is eternal. And then the, the, the last one, he says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. The old men in the room are laughing at the young men going, oh yeah, y'all just want to fight. Like y'all are just all about winning and all this kind of stuff. We as young men love to win. We love to compete. We love to overcome the evil one. That appeals to me in this situation. So John right here, as he, as he just breaks this down really quick, he just appeals to everybody that was listening. The young, the old, it didn't matter. He just appealed to all of them, but all of them that were believers. You can't make any of the statements that he makes unless you're talking to believers. So I just want us to understand, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He is writing to a group of believers. So chapter 2, verse, verse 1, let's, let's keep going. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, so here's the deal. Like I said, John is about to pour into these people throughout the rest of this book. Okay, He's about to give them a bunch of instructions on ways that they would not sin anymore. On things that they can do better. They can be sanctified in that. But if any of you, are, if any of you do sin, which, number one, that's but when any of you do sin. right? This was kind of a play on words here. You're going to sin. And he knew that. That's why he's even going to present this. Because if we weren't going to sin, he didn't even need to say this. So this is key for us. Here we go. Ready? So as believers, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now let's talk about the word advocate real quick. Let's not move on. Let's make sure we got the word advocate. So advocate, a person who publicly supports or recommends a particular cause or policy. So that's in legal terms basically. But I just want us to make sure we've got a grasp on that as we approach it here. We have someone who's publicly going to plead our case, who's going uh, to plead for us. Now we're going to talk about what that plea actually is in a couple minutes. But just understand, we have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who's going to plead for us with the Father. Who is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, look what the next thing says. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So we have an advocate who is Jesus Christ. Now, did I mess that up? Did I stop too soon right there? I think I did. What does it say? It doesn't just say Jesus Christ. It says we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the what? The righteous. Now, okay, this is a little interesting. Because we see Jesus Christ's name used in Scripture a lot. And it doesn't always, the righteous is not always followed. Right? So, in my opinion, John is trying here to make some kind of emphasis by saying the righteous. That's got to be important, otherwise he doesn't have to say it. Because it's somewhat implied. So there has to be some significance as to why he would add on the righteous. Add on the couple of words. So let's keep going. Let's see why he would add this here. Okay. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now let's talk about this. What is this propitiation word? This is a... Word that you won't ever hear anywhere else but probably right here. So, let's, let's, let's talk through this. Propitiation. So, I looked it up so that we would hopefully have a definition. Um, propitiation, an atoning sacrifice. So, okay, now we need to look at the word atoning because I'm still using much words we don't know. So, supplying satisfaction for. So, a sacrifice that would supply satisfaction for, for what? For our sin. For the punishment of our sin. So, Jesus Christ, the what? The righteous, 
is the propitiation for our sins. That's the key there. Because we already said that Jesus Christ was our advocate with the Father. Is he arguing for your eyes righteousness? Is he arguing that I deserve to go to heaven? Is he arguing that I deserve anything good whatsoever? That's not the case. And we see that with this verse right here when he says, He is the propitiation for our sins. You and I are not worthy of heaven. So if Jesus Christ was to go be our advocate on our behalf and just try to argue that he's doing a good job, he's working hard, he, you know, he, he prayed a couple times this week and he, oh, he's doing good, a good job at work and this, that, and the other, it would be an awful argument to God the Father. That's not the argument that we want Jesus to make on our behalf. If that is the argument that he makes, then we are damned to hell. What is going on right here? <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, when Jesus goes to the Father as our advocate, what is he arguing? He is arguing his righteousness. He is arguing his perfect life and his death, burial, and resurrection. He's not arguing that I am worthy. He's not arguing that I deserve this. He's not arguing that I have earned anything. He's saying, no, 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 no. You have already punished me on his behalf. My sin was imputed to Christ on the cross. And his righteousness was imputed to me. That man is righteous because I was righteous. So as we study here, as we see this, he is the propitiation for our sins. I just want us to understand Jesus Christ the righteous is very significant. He wants us to make sure that we understand that Jesus Christ was righteous. That's why he can be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ the righteous is the key to this whole thing. Without it, it falls apart. He is the propitiation for our sins. The second half of that says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That does not mean that everyone will be saved. As difficult as that can be, that does not mean that everyone will be saved. His sacrifice was sufficient for all, but it is only for those who repent and believe. And so, as we approach this, I just want to make sure that we know that. But before we move on, let's go back to chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. I just want to talk through that before we move on. I said we would. So, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it first. Ready? So, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Before we move on, I just want us to talk about this little verse because I've seen it used out of context so many times. When they talk about it, when it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins uh, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People want to use it as an argument that we ought to confess our sins on a daily basis. That's not what this argument is. Don't get me wrong. Do I think you should? Most definitely. There is no question we ought to be confessing our sins continually. But that is not for forgiveness sake. That is not for salvation's sake. That happened at a moment. Jesus Christ changed your heart. He gave you a new heart. And guess what? When he forgave you at that moment, it was not a forgiveness of just the sins that you had done. It was a forgiveness of the sins that you had already done, the ones that you were doing, and the ones that you were going to do. When I go and I, I confess today, it is not for my salvation's sake. And I want us to understand that. Because what does it say right here? It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want us to understand that is at the point of salvation. This is a salvation message right here. If we forgive, if, if we confess our sins, that's not if I lie to my wife, right? And I go and I confess to her and I confess to God. Was I confessing to God so that he would forgive me? No, I was already forgiven. When I was saved, I was forgiven at that moment. So what was that confession for? That was about right fellowship and right community with God and right community and fellowship with my wife. That's what that was for. This statement right here says we confess our sins. This is not talking about that one sin that I just need to go confess really quick and then I'm good. No, this is talking about if I confess my sins, my sin nature, everything that I ever have done and know that I will do. If I confess the fact that I am a broken, sinful, messed up man. And that I have no hope. I have no hope of an eternity in heaven. I have no hope in glory. This is a declaration that I'm broken, messed up. I'm confessing the fact that I am sinful and I am sinful by nature. And there's nothing that I can do about it myself. If we confess our sins, this is talking about our sin nature. This is talking about all of our sins. This is talking about repentance, turning from trusting myself and saying, no, 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 wait, I am not capable of this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I love this. He is just in forgiving us. How is he just in forgiving us? Well, it's because of what we've already said. What did I say? He is the propitiation for our sins. It would be unjust for God to punish you or I for sins if we have believed in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's already punished Christ. It's over. To punish someone again would be punishing them twice for one sin. Or for one multitude of sins. That doesn't make sense. That's not biblical. God is a just God. Therefore, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Not because we deserve forgiveness, but because he has already punished Jesus on the cross. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The hope that we have does not rely on you or I's confession on a daily basis. It does not rely on you or I's um, actions at work. It does not rely on how good we have done in this hobby or that hobby. It is only by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. 
It is only by His sacrifice that we are saved. So let's, let's continue on. So verse 3 of chapter 2. Sorry, we're going back to chapter 2. I know we skipped back to chapter 1. We're in chapter 2. Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever... Well, let's just stop there. Ready? Verse 3. So now, for all of the believers, now remember, he's talking to believers. Let's, let's talk about this really quick. He's talking to believers again. And this is the, the, um, the assurance part of his discussion with the believers. He says, you can have assurance by, by listening to the rest of this. You ready? So what does he say? He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. Come to know who? Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate with the Father, the propitiation for our sins. We know that we come to know him if we keep his commands. Let's talk about this, right? The, the salvation that we're talking about, the repentance that we've, that we've already kind of discussed, that is the means by which we are saved. Let's talk about that. So I repent and I believe. So when we talk about repentance, we're talking about I was trusting in myself. I was trusting in my own anything and everything that I could do to earn my way to whatever. That's what I was trusting in. I was saying, you know what? I can make it to the next level in this job. I just got to work a little harder. You know what? I can buy that car. I just got to save a little money. You know what? I can do this. I can do that. Whatever you've got in your head, I can work my way there. Okay? Repentance says, no, I now understand that in the grand scheme, we're talking about eternal things, not temporal things. We're talking about eternal things. Guess what? I don't stand a chance. I understand that. I am sinful. I am broken. I have confessed my sins, my, my whole everything. And I understand that I am not capable. And I have now turned and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so in order to do that, I want us to just think about the magnitude and implications of that. I have trusted Jesus Christ with my eternity. Do we understand that? I think sometimes we, we talk, oh, he got saved, and we're like, oh, that's good. He'll be in church, this, that, and the other. Do we understand that we're talking about something that is completely eternal, and we have to live with the choices, or with that, with that choice for all of eternity? That's not 80 years if you, if you make it that far. That's forever and always. And so when we talk about salvation, we say we're going to trust Jesus with our eternity, but I'm not going to trust him with an everyday decision. Those two things don't line up. So John is letting us know right here in verse 3 when he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. If you've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you're going to begin to keep his commands. It, it only makes sense. If I'm trusting with him with my eternity, I'm going to begin to trust him with everything. Now, again, this is not about perfection. As, as Pastor Brian would say, what does he say? It's not about perfection, it's about what? Direction. That's right. Okay, because don't get me wrong, we're going to sin. And John's already addressed that. He said we have an advocate with the Father. But I do want us to understand that if our life looks nothing, and we're not going in any direction towards being more like Christ, towards walking in the light... Then we need to stop and reevaluate. Do we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Are we trusting Him with everything? Verse 4. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. He basically just says the opposite. If you're not keeping His commands, you don't know Him. The truth is not in you. You're not trusting in Jesus if you're not keeping His commands. And there's also another side of this, right? When we give our life to Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit as well. So we are actually able to make a right choice. 
That's the other side of this that, that we haven't even talked about, right? It's not even possible for me to do something good without Jesus. Do we understand that? Even if I'm to give a good bit of money or serve with my hands doing this or that, it wasn't for good intent, I promise, if you do not know Christ. That's not even possible. The only good thing that we can do is to glorify God. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not why you do anything. So, as we talk about this, we have been saved. Once you have been saved, now, what is the evidence of that? I'm following his commands because I've trusted him with everything. Not only that, I now have the Holy Spirit who is working in me and working out my sanctification. So here we go. Let's keep going. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. So we're going we're gonna to skip over. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't have to turn there because I think I've got it. Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. We're going to read them real quick before we try to explain this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an exciting verse. It's a powerful verse. But I want to make sure that we understand it in completeness before we move on. A lot of times people think about this as a verse just about death and about how we have overcome death and Jesus overcame death and therefore we get to overcome death. But I want to say this is a lot more than just overcoming death. Because I want us to think about this for a minute. For the parents in the room and or even people that, you know, you've seen kids and how, you know, you know how this works. Kids, you got one that's sick. They got a really sore throat. What are you going to do? Time to go to the doctor, Right? We go, get to the doctor's office, go inside. They sit us down. They sit the kid down on the little, the, I don't know, the big bed thing, right? And they got that plastic wrap that always falls off. It's awful. But, and then, they're going to make it worse on you. Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to take that nasty Q-tip. They're going to say, open wide. And they're going to play airplane or something. And then they're going to stick it all the way back down your throat. Ugh, see, it's just a second longer. And it feels like it's forever. And then you gag, almost throw up. It's awful, right? They leave the room. They come back. What seems like an hour later. And what do they say? He's got strep throat. So in our head, we're going, okay, good. At least we know what it is. Now what do I want? Give me some antibiotics, right? That makes sense. Doctor, that's not what he says though. He says, here, let, I'm going to get you some cough drops and y'all can be on your way. Cough drops? He said, yeah, it'll help the sore throat. If you're a parent, you're going to go crazy, right? I don't want to just help the sore throat. It'll be back the next day with cough drops, right? I want the good stuff. Get this kid some antibiotics so I can get him better, right? I want us to talk about this right here. If we go back to verse 55, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is what? Sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not simply talking about victory over death. Because here's the deal. If I die and am raised back to life and I continue in sin, guess what the wages of sin still are? It's still death. This is not just victory over death. That's not enough. That doesn't solve our problem. 
This is much more than that. We are not just talking about victory over death. We want the whole fix. I don't want a cough drop. I want the antibiotics. I want to be cleansed where I will never have a sore throat again. Where I won't ever have to die again. So what do I need? I need victory not over, not just over death. What do I need victory over? I need victory over sin. And we have that in Jesus Christ. So when we come back to 1 John right here and we see in verse 5 it says, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Do we now see why is it perfected as we keep his commands? Because not only do we now have victory over death, not only are we saved from an eternity in hell, or not are we only saved from this physical death, but, or this spiritual death, but we are also saved from sin. Therefore, we get to see the love of God perfected in us because we are being saved from sin. We are being sanctified. So when we read 1 Corinthians we are celebrating that right there. Right here, John is letting us know that guess what? But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. How much more beautiful is it that not only are they just saved from a death, but they are saved from sin as a whole. So we see right there how the love of God is perfected in the fact that we are becoming more like Christ. And that we are being sanctified and that we are being given power over sin. So let's con continue on. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So again, this is a pointing back to the, the, the assurance thing, right? Because if I abide in him, if I have trusted Jesus Christ with, with, with my life, with my eternity, with everything, if I've repented and believed in him, then what am I going to do? I'm going to begin to begin to walk like he walked. We begin to walk in the light, as it talked about in verses 5 through 10. And so we see yet again another just verse that, that, that should give a believer assurance and should give an unbeliever a lot of, uh, a lot of questions. And so as, as we wrap up, as we finish up right here, I just want to talk through a couple of things before we go. Number one, I hope that our discussion does one of two things. I hope that for the believers in the room, that you are just, just amazed at God's glory, amazed at his willingness to sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate with the Father. I hope that that brings you hope and peace, that he is not going to the Father trying to argue our goodness. He is not trying to go to the Father arguing our worth. He is not trying to go to the Father saying, they've done a pretty good job. I hope that our discussion today has given you the hope and the peace that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is our advocate. And he is the propitiation for our sins. I hope that that encourages you and just brings you some peace and some hope in the midst of what is probably a tough week, if I can imagine. I hope that that is encouraging you today. The other thing that I hope that this does is I hope that if there's any unbelievers in the room that thought that you were a believer. I hope that this shakes you. I hope that this makes you just go, wait a minute. Was I trusting in my own works? Was I trusting in the fact that I, I prayed every now and then? Was I trusting in uh, the fact that I, I come here on Sunday mornings and I'm, I'm here pretty often and maybe I even go and serve every now and then or, or whatever? Or am I, am I trusting in the fact that, well, I, I confess that sin that I lied to my wife that one time. <laughs> 
am I, I, I hope that what we've discussed today, that the scripture has made it obvious to you that that will never, ever, ever save you. I hope that you understand that salvation comes only through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And so I hope that today that, that, that the Lord would give you a new heart. I hope that he would change you and, and, and that you would repent and believe in him as Lord and Savior. Also, for the believers in the room, before we go, I just want to talk about two other things. Before, before we end and go out, I want to give us some, a couple of challenges that I think that we need to work through. That, that um, Some implications that I think it has for us as we study this. So, I hope and pray that verses 3 through 6... So I'm going to read them really quick just so you didn't forget. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I hope that number one it reminds us that we are to be being sanctified. That we're, we ought to be looking more and more like Christ. And if not... That's a function of our unwillingness to submit. So I hope that verses 3 through 6 would challenge you in that. And I also hope that it would challenge you to read the rest of 1 John. Because like I said, he told us at the beginning, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's about to, in the next verses after everything that we've studied today, he's about to break down a bunch of stuff that you need to do or not do. And so I would challenge you to go read the rest of 1 John and allow the Lord to work in you and sanctify you through that. And then also, the other thing that I, that, that I want to challenge us to, uh, verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him or claim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, has, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Don't get me wrong. We've already talked about how this was not a message of like I need to continually confess in order to be saved. I, think all, I, I hope that we understand that now. But I will also challenge us when we look at this. Walking in the light is not about getting it right. It's not about being perfect. It's not about the, like shining the light on me so that you can see how pretty I am. That's not what walking in the light was a declaration of. What was it? It was about exposing sin so that the blood of Christ can cover you. So here's the deal. Jared's just started a series about biblical community. And so I, I want us to understand that one of the first things that's going to have to happen in order for true biblical community and true fellowship with God to happen in your life and for you to continue to be sanctified is you're going to have to confess. Not for salvation's sake, for community and fellowship's sake. That's a confession to God, but it's also a confession to one another. Bring sin out into the light. That is the only way that we're going to be able to have fellowship, right? It tells us that. It says it's... Um, Oh man, but if we walk in the light, he sees in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we don't expose sin and get rid of it and bring it into the light, we can't have true biblical community. We can't have true biblical fellowship. So those are the two things for the believers in the room I want to challenge you to. Number one, 
Read the rest of 1 John. Know what it looks like to walk in the light. Second off, bring your sin into the light. Expose that sin. Confess your sin. Again, for the unbelievers in the room, I hope that it's a one time you understand. I'm broken, fallen, messed up. And I'm going to repent and believe. For the believers in the room, I also challenge you to confess for fellowship and for biblical community's sake. Let's pray and we'll sing some more. Lord God, we come to you and... and um, I've just been humbled by your word as, as I studied. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful. Lord, for Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate of propitiation for my sin. Lord, I'm thankful that you are not arguing my case, Lord, that you are arguing your righteousness. Lord, I pray that if there are any other unbelievers in the room that do not know you, that have not put repented and believed, Lord, I pray that you would change their heart right now and that they would repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, continue to sanctify us and, and teach us what that looks like through your word. And, and Lord, I pray that you would expose sin as you do and allow us to be sanctified through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. and.